Okay. Hi. Hi, are you ready to start? Are we recording? Oh yeah, it's been recording. Three, two, one. one go. Good. I'm Sean. I'm Russell. Welcome to another episode of the DC Podcast. What does DC stand for again? Uh, it's a little phrase that we made up. No. no. It's from Philippians 1-7. Yeah. Uh, Paul speaks of the defense and the confirmation of the gospel. Yeah. Now, did, so, did you intentionally pick a name for our podcast that would be impossible for people to find on the internet when they Google for us? Uh, why would that be impossible? Uh, I've DC? tried. I have Googled us maybe 30 times, found nothing but comic book and politics based. This podcast is like two days old. Why would we be in the Google search results yet? I don't know. Why am I compulsively checking? <laughs> I, 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 it's, it's a, there's something, yeah. There's yeah. an insecurity thing. There, People maybe? have told me that they literally cannot find us. They can't find us on Facebook. They can't find us on Instagram. Okay, well, it's defend and confirm. Okay. On Facebook. So Facebook Facebook slash defend and confirm. Mm -hmm. It's defend and confirm on Instagram. Mm -hmm. So if you can find one, you should be able to find the other. Yeah. And uh, on Instagram, we have literally tens of followers. Tens. I think it's upwards of <laughs> 70. Yes. Um, doing I, well. I'm not sure how many of them know what they're following. Even. Yeah. yeah um, probably most of them are Russian bots, but that's okay. okay. All right. So today we're going to talk about apologetics. That's a big part of what we would say defending the gospel is. Mm -hmm. is Can you give us your pocket-sized definition of apologetics again? Yeah. So apologetics, uh, I, I think it was Dr. Walter Martin. Heard of him? No. K Kingdom of the Cults. Okay, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. I think he said that apologetics is, is basically premeditated evangelism. Mm. Um, I like that. I think a better definition is defending the truths of the gospel with the aim of seeing conversions. Mm. So, um, and, and I think that's that's also what Dr. Uh, Martin. Martin, sorry. Mm. Dr. Martin. Dr. Doc Martin. Uh, which is basically, you know, the goal of apologetics is to see people turn to Christ. Yeah. And so it's not arguing for the sake of arguing. It's not uh, just trying to win fights with atheists on the internet. Right. It is really trying to uh, lead people to the truth. Yeah. Um, there's a very sort of uh, classic verse in Scripture yeah. that, that gives us some guidance on how we as Christians should defend Scripture. First Peter. First uh, Peter 3. 15. 15. Yeah. There it is. Um that verse is, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense for the hope that you have within you, but mm -hmm. do so with gentleness and respect. Yeah. So make a defense. Yeah. That's apologia. That's the, the Greek word there it means to give a defense, a, almost like you would in a courtroom. Yeah. Um, doing that, making that defense uh, for the reason for the hope that you have. Yeah. That's the gospel. Yeah. And doing with, so with gentleness and respect, which... Which goes right back to what we said a second ago, which is that it's not just about mocking people into, yeah. you know, feeling bad about their foolish beliefs, but actually leading them to the truth. Yeah. Um, and that's something that I think sometimes people get get confused on when they're defending Christian truth. Uh, they think that the idea is just to tear down other people's false beliefs. Right. Um, other people's false religions. We don't want to lead people to abandoning their atheism or their you know, false religion and just being in spiritual anarchy you right. know, with nothing. Right. They're not sure what they believe. We want to actually lead them to the truth. Yeah. Now, I think the part of that verse that often gets neglected is the first part, which is in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Why is it so neglected? Well, 
honoring Christ the Lord as holy in our apologetic, Mm -hmm. in our defense of the gospel, I think that means that we need to make sure that God's word, Mm. his truth is central to our apologetic. Yeah. And I think there's a really strong temptation in our world to set that aside. Yeah. I mean, think about if, if you've ever talked with someone who's an atheist or someone who's an unbeliever, uh, we're told that we need to set our Christian beliefs aside mm-hmm. and look at things neutrally, you know, right. evaluate the evidence and, and look at the Bible just like any other historical document. Yeah. The same way the atheist looks at the Bible. Yeah. And then we need to build from historical evidence and from textual evidence, from scientific evidence. We need to build our way up to a reasonable you know, argument for the Christian faith. Yeah. And we need to do so on the grounds <clears throat> of what, what they would say is neutrality. Yeah. And I I think that's completely unbiblical. So kind of taking a Rene Descartes kind of, I think I can eliminate every bias. I can just kind of come to this place where nothing is influencing me and then use my logic to... Right. And there's there's assumptions built into that. The assumption, the the foremost assumption being that the, you know, the foundation of all my knowledge, the thing that I can trust most assuredly in that will lead me to all my beliefs. Oh, that's that's me. Yeah. That's my reasoning. That's my experience. It's my intuitions. And the Bible teaches us we can't do that. Yeah. The Bible teaches us uh, not only are our hearts wicked Mm -hmm. and deceitful. uh, Romans one teaches us that in giving us over to our sin. Uh, our our thinking actually becomes mm-hmm. darkened. Yeah. Our ability to reason apart from God, who is the creator and author of all truth, yeah. is going to be fallible. It's going to lead us to false beliefs. Yeah. It says that we already know the truth. The truth has been made plain to us by God since the beginning. Yeah. And by the way, when you look at that, it, it's not like it's not like it's it's been hazily made known to us or cloud like cloudy or with blurred lines. It says that he has clearly made known to us his attributes i mean he's not just communicating to us in vague outlines or in silhouettes he's saying that we can see things like his attributes and creation and what we do when we see those things is we suppress them we 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 take what's obvious and we turn it into a lie and now what what you're saying and you're pulling that from romans one yeah romans one is such an important text for us if we're going to defend the truth of scripture yeah to keep in the forefront of our minds yeah um, if we set that aside, what we're going to run into principally is an unbiblical understanding of man. Okay. And and I think an unbiblical understanding of what conversion is. So what you're about to start talking about is really bad ways for us to do apologetics. Yes. And, and I would say God can strike a straight blow with a crooked stick. So mm. a bad apologetic, I, I think part of what brought me to faith in Christ was bad apologetics, mm. honestly. Yeah. So I'm, I'm thankful for any defense of the gospel. With that being said. But with that being said, Peter's clear, do so, honoring Christ the Lord as, as holy. So yeah. we, we want to make God's word central and we want to do an we want to make a defense for the gospel in a way that is ultimately the most honoring to mm. God and the most glorifying to God that it can be. Can you give me an example of how we would do apologetics in a way that that doesn't keep God's word central in a way that wouldn't fully honor Christ? Well, let's go back to Romans 1. Okay. So if I set aside Romans 1 and and start thinking about man, the way the world thinks about man, yeah. then I'm going to look at people who say, yeah, you know, I just don't see any evidence for God. And I'm going to think, wow, what that person needs yeah. is good evidence. Yeah. And if they just had the evidence, then intellectually they could, they could wrap their head around, oh, Christianity 
maybe this really is true. Then they would just become Christians. Right. A biblical view of apologetics says people are going to, are prone to look at truth and call it a lie. That's right. You're saying that we have to know that if we want to do good apologetics. Well, and if we look at Romans 1, we see that every single man, woman, child on earth Mm -hmm. will someday stand before God Mm -hmm. and be without excuse. Yeah for failing to recognize him and honor him as Lord. So we have enough evidence. Every single person in this world has enough evidence Mm -hmm. from God's general revelation, just like you talked about, what he's revealed to us, to to not have an excuse for failing to recognize him. So we often think about atheists as people who don't believe in God. Mm -hmm. The biblical definition of an atheist is someone who says he doesn't doesn't believe believe in God. God. And so I don't think he's lying. Yeah. I think the power of sin, yeah. the, the noetic effect of sin on our Ooh, minds. You're using words people may not know about. Word. Yeah. yeah. So the noetic effect of sin speaks to the way sin darkens our thinking. Mm-hmm. I think that it's so powerful that we actually deceive ourselves. Yeah. So the person who claims to not see the evidence of God throughout the universe and throughout nature has literally suppressed that truth yeah. to the point of, and I, I'm thinking of like literally having to hold it down. Yeah. The beach ball held under the pool water is what I think of, you know, you have to actively repress that. Yeah. Um, I think that atheist has done that to the point of literally fooling himself. So when we fail to recognize that, when we fail to recognize what the Bible says about us being dead in our sins, Mm -hmm. um, another verse, wait, sorry, go ahead. So just so that everybody's on the same page, the, the bad way to do evangelism, number one, that we're talking about Apologetics. right now. Excuse, yeah, thank you. Well, it's yeah, pre-evangelism. Okay. Yeah. The bad way, number one, of doing apologetics is to have an unbiblical view of man. That's what we're discussing right now. Yes. Okay. That's right. Go ahead. And if you fail to have a biblical view of man, you're going to think that what people really need is just good evidence. That's right. And you're going to think that what they really need is just intellectual sort of acceptance of things. Yeah. Um, Second Timothy chapter 2, mm-hmm. verse, help me out here. Uh, I don't know. No, hold on. Okay. Uh, while Russell's looking that up, there it is. I would like to share a joke with you. Oh, uh, you made it back. I'm just gonna edit this out. Okay. Second Timothy chapter two verses twenty four through twenty five. Okay. We read, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able mm. to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. Mm. The order there is really important. Yeah. Repentance yeah. leads to a knowledge of the truth. That's right. So if I go out doing apologetics thinking people just need evidence, yeah. and then that evidence will lead to repentance, I'm actually getting things completely backwards yeah. compared to how scripture says. Yeah. Unless they repent, all the evidence that you give them is really just going to serve to further condemn them on the last day when they stand before Christ. That's right. Yeah. Um, so obviously this can this can send us into, you know, one of the principal ways we see this kind of unbiblical thinking about man and conversion affecting our apologetic is people stripping away major parts of scriptural truth mm-hmm. to try and whittle down Christianity just to this most fundamental mere Christianity. Why do that... you hate C.S. Lewis? <laughs> Why? It's not just him. All right, um, go ahead. I, I'm thinking. Why of, do you hate Tim Keller? Uh if Christianity, if you're trying to make it an easy pill to swallow, yeah, you don't understand what conversion is. Right. So the person who... So wait, it sounds like we're about to go off into number two. A little bit. Number two, bad way to do apologetics is to have a wrong understanding of conversion? Yeah. Okay. So the wrong understanding of conversion being um, that, you know, if we look at biblically our state as unconverted 
men and women. Mm-hmm. We are dead in our sins. Yep. We are hardened in our hearts. Yeah. We are absolutely opposed to the ways of God. Yeah. Enemies and, of God. And we are enemies of God. Yeah. Yeah. At enmity. Yeah. We are. And to think that a person in that state uh, simply needs to be sort of convinced of a truth mm-hmm. rather than, you know, it's again, confusing an intellectual problem for a heart problem right. is to fundamentally misunderstand what the Bible says about the human heart and yeah. the human condition. Yeah. So we need to trust in God and God's word to give the truth fully, yeah. Yeah. not change the gospel or whittle down the gospel to the bare components that we think are the most acceptable to our modern ears to right. try and make it an easier pill to swallow. Right. We need to trust in God mm-hmm. to be able to open the eyes of the sinner to his truth. Yeah. Um, and that fundamentally is, again, keeping God's word central to our understanding of how we should defend the gospel. So do I just need to quote scripture to people is that is that what you're saying i just need to go and like read the romans road to people that i'm trying to evangelize no absolutely or apologize not. to uh, no and we see i mean we see do apologetics with <laughs> do, yeah apologetics does not mean apologizing <laughs> yeah uh we see the disciples we see the apostles in the book of acts and uh we see paul in particular mm-hmm. making arguments using reason using logic appealing to uh kind of a common understanding of, of, of God in, in yeah. the world and also appealing to scripture. That's right. Uh, in a way that creates very full formed apologetic arguments. Yeah. But what he doesn't do is he doesn't minimize God's truth. Mm. He doesn't try and make a mere Christianity that's easier for the people around him to accept. Yeah. Because he recognizes, I think it's clear from scripture, that it is the sovereignty of God opening the eyes of sinners that leads yeah. to conversion. Yeah. Um, and, and we simply want to be the means by which God does that. Yeah. So it's not us and yeah. our clever arguments and yeah. our articulate sort of modernizing of Christianity that makes it appealing to people and then yeah. leads to conversion. Yeah. It is God changing hearts. Yeah. And so we just, we want to be that tool that he uses. Yeah. So it sounds like what you're saying is that what we believe affects what we do. Yeah. Yeah. So our theology of man and conversion will affect the way that we try to seek the conversion of man. Absolutely. I, Put I that on a t-shirt, huh? Ooh. That was just right off the top of the dome, mm-hmm. man. This is why you're here. This is why you're here. Yeah. So what you're saying is, is that <laughs> what you're saying is, is that really, I mean, if, if we don't have our systematic theology of these things in place, we're going to go out there and the Lord may use it. Yeah. Uh, but one, he, he may not use it. Mm-hmm. And two, we may end up just kind of wasting a lot of time, talent, and treasure, right? I mean, I remember as a young Christian going out and trying to win people to Christ, uh, doing so in my own power, mm-hmm. thinking that, you know, I would come back after, you know, sharing the gospel with someone and they and they weren't converted. And, you know, I, I would I would cry. I would be brokenhearted, dejected. I would, I would ask the Lord, like, God, why didn't you move tonight? So instinctually, I think I kind of understood it was God. Mm-hmm. But in the same way, I felt like, okay, what was wrong with me? What didn't I do? What didn't I say right? When in reality, the Bible says that we can say everything perfectly. We can perfectly articulate the gospel to somebody, and they can perfectly understand it. And so it's totally rejected. Yeah, and, and that's actually that's why it's a really good reason. You know, when we think back to... Peter's command to share the the hope that we have and defend that mm-hmm. with gentleness and respect. We have to be careful about first being aware of the motive of our heart. Yeah. You know, are we here to pridefully try and win an argument? Yeah. But at the same time, you can share the gospel with gentleness and respect and defend that truth 
with gentleness and respect and somebody could still call you a hateful bigot. Yeah. So you don't want to necessarily rely on the reaction of the person you're talking to as the litmus test for whether or not you are, you know, biblically being gentle. Yeah. Um, so th- let's move on now. There's two big categories of apologetics that you'll hear thrown around. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure you've heard of them. Evidential. Yeah. And presuppositional. Yeah. And a lot of times when we hear these two types of apologetic discussed, you kind of get these, you know, factions, two camps. Yeah. yeah. Like they're at odds with one another. Uh, I think a lot of that is a misunderstanding of the right or the appropriate ways to use these different styles of apologetics. So and you're a centrist. I, you know, you just want to you want to say I think both sides are right. I don't think that's quite accurate. Okay. I think the reason that you get this this factionaliz- factionalization is that a word? Sure. Uh, is because the evi- uh, internet. You tell us. Yeah, that, I'm sure. Leave we'll, a comment if it's right. We'll hear about it. Yeah. I think because one camp, and this is I would say the evidentialist camp, tends to lean away from this biblical understanding of mm. of how we should conduct our apologetic, keeping yeah. God's word central. On the presuppositionalist side, I think they do a better job of that. Mm. But I also think there's a tendency to get away from do so with gentleness and respect. Yeah. Uh, so, let, so let's break that down. The evidential apologetics. Um, how would you define that? Yeah, you're, you're trying to give people evidence. You, you know, they, they, they think that, yeah, if, if, if God came down and talked to me, I would believe. Or, yeah. you know, short of that, if he just gave me some really good evidence. So like scientific evidence. Scientific evidence, sure. Historical. Historical. I'm just going to uh, keep repeating things you say. Textual Textual. Evidence. Philosophical. Philosophical. Personal. Yeah. Existential evidence, right? Um. Yeah, and if and if and if I just had more evidence, I'd believe. And so the evidentialist apologist, William Lane Craig. Yeah, good example. Who says who's phenomenal, by the way, at what he does. Yeah, in that vein. But you know, he says, Okay, you want evidence? I look around at the world and I see there's a ton of evidence. Mm-hmm. God's fingerprints are all over creation and science, math, yep. nature. I think there's more than enough evidence and I'm going to give it to you. And when it comes to giving evidence for the existence of God and for the, you know, for Jesus and everything else, nobody does it better. He, yeah. He's, you know, when I was a young Christian, I yeah. found him very helpful Yeah, because I wanted evidence. I wanted to yeah. understand you know, what are the good reasons to believe that the thing that I know to be true actually is true mm-hmm. from science, from yeah. history, from philosophy. Yeah. Um, and so here's where I think you have to make a distinction. Are you about to tell me why you, you hate William Lane Craig? I'm not. And his ministry? I'm not. Okay, go ahead. I thank God for the good that he's done. And okay. Yet I think he's, Even though you've outgrown him? I think there's some things wrong with the way okay. he does things. And wait, I'll, wait. Should we do that now or should we talk about what presuppositional apologetics is? Okay, let's then, talk about presuppositional. Okay. Ask, me, ask me what it is. You ready? Yeah. Hey, Sean. Yeah. What's presuppositional apologetics? I don't know. <laughs> no. It's it's when you presuppose. Ooh. No. It's it's you're pointing out people's bedrock assumptions yeah. about everything, right? They're operating at this level. You're trying to get down to the level beneath that. You're trying to operate at the level of people's presuppositions. So instead of talking about, hey, here's all the evidence mm-hmm. from science that the universe was designed. Mm-hmm. We're going below that and yeah. we're saying, hey, Mr. Atheist, let's look at your foundational assumptions about reality and let me step into your shoes mm-hmm. and show you that you actually don't have any good reason to account for scientific knowledge at all. Yeah. So it's a critique. Yeah. It's a critique of the view of reality that yeah. non-unbelievers have. Yeah. And, and science is just one avenue that that can right. go down, right? So you have somebody like Christopher Hitchens who 
was a very moral man mm-hmm. who had a strong sense of morality. You're having a conversation like Doug Wilson, who did actually did a fantastic job in their uh, debate series video mm-hmm. that they did, Collision. Collision, yeah. And all he does is just point out, he goes, hey, you know, all that righteous indignation that you're feeling, you don't, as an atheist, really have any ground for that. Right, right. If, if we're just stardust floating around in a purposeless universe, yeah. banging into other stardust, yeah. Yeah. why should I show the moral indignation of a Puritan? Yeah when somebody stabs somebody else. Yeah. You're calling 9-11 evil, but right. evil is a word that doesn't mean anything in your world. Yeah. You have to borrow my vocabulary. You have to get into my car and then try to drive it into yeah. a tree. So here's where I see both of these apologetics having a place. Okay. So evidentialism, evidentialist, apologetics. Another invented word. That's two what, for that's, those who are keeping track at home. We're on a roll here. Yeah, buddy. So I think evidential apologetics is great for people who have sincere questions. Yeah. For people who actually want to know, like let's say they don't know what they believe, yeah, and they come up to you and say, "Hey, can you? Is there really good evidence to think that this Jesus guy rose from the dead?" Yeah, and you can do the minimal facts argument. So yeah, yeah actually, all of the historical evidence mm-hmm. that we have outside of Scripture and within Scripture points to the truth of this historical event. Yeah, uh, you can even find you know immature Christians yeah. who, who want answers to these types of questions, and in that situation, I think it's really helpful. But. Um, but, well, and, and this is also a situation where taking the presuppositionalist approach and decimating somebody's worldview when they actually were just asking you for evidence would be misguided. Yeah. So uh, pros and cons. Um, pros, we all think like this. Mm-hmm. Like in the world around us right now, everybody thinks I can, using my own powers of reason, mm-hmm. understand everything. And if I have enough evidence, then I can justify those beliefs. Yeah. So this is a natural way that people think. Yeah. Um, cons. Yeah, I think it leads us to to start thinking neutrally mm. more often than not. And neutrality doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. We, yeah. I, I think when we go into the evidentialist apologetic with someone who is pushing back a little, we tend to assume that they have the grounds to do that. Mm-hmm. We tend to forget that they're walking into the conversation with their own assumptions yeah. and that they already have enough evidence of God's mm-hmm. existence, Romans 1, yep. to stand before him without excuse. They're so, actually walking into the conversation hostile they may not realize that they're yeah, hostile they you are. may not they could be walking into the conversation with a smile but they i mean if they're not converted they're walking right. into the conversation hostile uh, yeah and, and that's important to keep in mind yeah. and i think the other thing too evidential apologetics requires you to know a lot of stuff yeah you got to study science you got to study philosophy you got to study uh rhetoric you got to study uh, moral ethical theories yeah. biology I mean, if you look at a guy like William Lane Craig who says, hey, you want to get into apologetics? The first thing you need is a philosophy degree. Yeah, that's right. Sorry. I think the you column to... cosmological argument. Yeah, I, n- not many people are going to do that, yeah. A. And, uh, and B, I disagree. I think you need to read your Bible more. Yeah, that's right. Um, which goes back to me having some issues with the way he kind of approaches the subject. Yeah. And we're not picking on William Lane Craig. No. He's just kind of the champion of that approach. And he's he, very good at it. He is. And, and the Lord's used him incredibly. He stands out as a good example of yeah. this, though. Yeah. Um, presuppositional, on yeah. the other hand. I think... Wait, let's start with a con. Is there a con to presuppositional apologetics? I think so. Okay. Well, hold on first. Okay. Um, Presuppositional apologetics, I think, is great Mm -hmm. for that person that is actually hostile in an outward, visible way. Mm -hmm. Somebody who's not asking you sincere questions, but is asking you questions to try and tear down your faith, your beliefs, your worldview, and is just there to argue. Yeah. Um, And you could shift from... Evidential to presuppositional Easily. in the middle of a conversation. Right. You yeah. find out the person you're talking to actually doesn't really care to hear the evidence you're yeah. giving, and you just shift gears to presuppositional. And and uh, I, I think the biggest benefit for it 
is that it is giving honor to God by not allowing this myth of neutrality to enter into the conversation. It's not allow. It's not. It's not uh, giving the atheist the ability to use scientific knowledge to appeal to moral knowledge to appeal yeah. to philosophy. It's not. It's not giving him that for free. Yeah. It's. It's stepping into his worldview, critiquing it, and showing him that actually every time you even argue for the truth of your position, yeah. you're showing that you know God exists. Yeah. And it's very effective. Yeah. And you're you're arguing according to the parameters that God has kind of laid out, right? I mean, it has to glorify God that when you walk into a conversation with somebody who you know is hostile to the faith, that you pray before you start. Yes. Because you recognize that you and your own power can't change this person's heart. And I think that might be the one con that I'd say is easy, it comes up in presuppositional apologetics. Okay. Is it's so, it, it's devastating. Yeah. To take somebody's worldview, pull it out from under them, and just crumple it up and throw it away. Yeah. And show that everything you believe is inconsistent with the way you're acting. So how do we counter that? By being extra gentle okay. and respectful. Um, and I think just trying... And giving them a big vision for a replacement to their worldview. And that goes back to what we talked about earlier. Yeah. We don't want to just strip away their atheism and leave them in, in spiritual anarchy where, yeah. they don't, where they don't know what they believe. We yeah. want to give them the light of the gospel at the same time. Yeah. Um, and so I think they both have a place. I think they're both valuable. Uh, and yet I think they need to be used with the audience in mind. I think that's the big distinction between the two. Yeah, that's really good, man. Hey, real quick, before yep. we end this conversation, I'm looking up on your bookshelf here and I see, uh, first of all, a big encyclopedia of prophecy. Uh, we'll come back to that on a later Thanks, episode. Liberty University. <laughs> two books up here about Christian apologetics. How much, how much of those books do you think is dedicated to prayer? Uh, very little. Yeah. Unfortunately, very little. Um, maybe that's something we can talk about in a later episode because uh, I think it's so easy to get into a conversation with somebody and to hope that our arguments are going to change them and never ask God, like literally really ask God, God, please use me. Please change their heart. Even in the middle of the conversation. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. All right. Uh, church book, membership. Books you should read. This is books that you should read. This is a book you should read. Church membership written by Jonathan Lehman. Uh, he's... He's written one or two things about the keys of the kingdom, church membership, church discipline. We're not going to have a big conversation about this. Not yet. Not yet, but we will come back to it because it has a lot to do with protecting the gospel. It does. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, Jonathan Lehman. Oh, don't you ever do that again. Mm, You threw me out. (laughs) Jonathan Lehman is not trying to argue in this book, which I'll I'll just leave sitting right here, that uh, you should practice church membership. He's assuming. He's assuming you you already already believe in it. Okay. Yeah. And now he just wants you to... Uh, have meaningful membership. This is the book that kind of gives you a theological backbone and some really helpful ways to practice church membership more consistently. And yeah, I found this book very helpful as somebody who came from uh, churches that didn't practice meaningful membership to really help express the fact that church members members have a responsibility. Yeah, they have a, essentially a job. Yeah, and they have a ministry within the local church. That's right. And that was new to me. And so, yeah, mm. highly recommended. And, highly. Uh, so because this book doesn't argue for church membership. Yeah. Maybe sometime we should maybe come back we and should argue do for that. it. Yeah. yeah. All right. All right. Well, that's all we have for today. Catch us on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, uh, Dem Internets, maybe iTunes soon. This is Sean signing off. Yeah, iTunes. People are asking about it's, that. I'm lazy. I'll, okay. Okay. Hopefully iTunes by the time you see this. All right. Thanks. Signing off, San Diego.